0: All right, today I am going to wrap up this series on Ephesians. So we've been reading through the letter of Ephesians, and if you've been following along with our reading plan, it has been the last two weeks that we have gone through that chapter by chapter. It's been the last four weeks that I've been preaching on some of the passages that come from Ephesians, and this is the last one of those. So I'm bringing that all together today to conclude our time in Ephesians and what the letter of Ephesians means. And we've been calling this a series that tells us about how we are meant for more. So I've been saying this every week as we've been going through this, that the letter of Ephesians, Paul writes the letter of Ephesians to people who've already accepted the gospel message. They already believe and have faith. And now Paul is saying, and here's what's next. Here's what life is like because you believe, because you've accepted that message. Here's how God takes the life you have right now and transforms it, changes it to be something more than what you thought it could be, more than what you've experienced before you knew the gospel message. That's what the letter of Ephesians gets into. That's what it's about. And we're concluding that today, and I'm going to be reading some verses that come from Ephesians chapter 6. This is a passage that talks about battle armor and spiritual warfare. A topic that doesn't come up that often in the Bible, but Paul brings it in here at the end of Ephesians. And maybe it's a passage you've heard before. You're familiar with the story about the armor of God and what that's about. Today, we're going to look at that through the lens of the entire letter of Ephesians because we've been reading it all the way through and we've been, I've been preaching on those passages. So let's take a look at this passage and then consider how this fits in with the rest of Ephesians, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to begin at verse 10. It's on the screen behind me here. Here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Armor of God. Uh, you know, I I wonder in the book of Ephesians why Paul brings this up. Because if you have been reading through the letter of Ephesians with us, and we've been going through that piece by piece over the last couple of weeks, and you've read all of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and now into chapter 6, if you've done that, then maybe this Particular section strikes you as a rather abrupt turn. I know it does for me. That when I read the letter of Ephesians and then I get up to this section, I have to scratch my head and, and think a little bit, Paul, where are you going? Why does this suddenly show up? There's been very little else in the letter of Ephesians that talks about spiritual warfare or battles, or what that looks like. So why does he bring that up here and now in this place? I think that's worth asking. I think, I think that's worth asking because for those of us that maybe first learned about this in maybe a Sunday school class, the armor of God, right? If, if you're like really old school Sunday school and it was the flannel graft with all the armor pieces that you put on there, or or maybe when we just read this passage all by itself like that, maybe we don't get the right picture in mind because it doesn't fit with the rest of the message of Ephesians. So so maybe we've thought about the armor of God in ways that are not always helpful. And before we get into that then, this this topic of spiritual warfare— This is something that the Bible actually has very little to say about. It's a topic that does not come up much in Scripture. The whole idea of spiritual warfare. And one of the things that I try to stick to as a pastor and and as someone who follows Christ is, is to say, where the Bible has much to say, we also should have much to say. But where the Bible has very little to say, then perhaps we also should have little to say. So addressing this topic here today is one in which we have to acknowledge that the Bible doesn't say much about it. There's not much there for us to go with. And I think that's useful for us to maybe know and understand that this whole topic of spiritual warfare is something that we should not have some kind of obsession about. It's not meant to be that way, that we obsess about this subject of what goes on between demons and angels and things that we cannot see. Even though it gets brief mentions like this in Scripture, it's very briefly there. So it's not meant to be something that, all right, we have to dwell upon this all the time now. It's not that kind of a subject. But why does it come up here? Why why is it in this place? And since we're looking at this passage today, let, let's consider a little bit of what that looks like. Now, if, if you do read about some of these sort of things, maybe you've read books about angels and demons and that kind of thing and what takes place in that. Or, or maybe it's just, I mean, it's October. It's coming up to Halloween, so you flip channels and you know a lot of the channels on TV have sort of Halloween movies that depict demons and dynamic, dynamic battles and, and some of those things that take place. Perhaps there's a piece where our culture in general has a little bit of a fascination with that in ways that try to grab our attention or maybe you've read a couple decades ago a novel like This Present Darkness. Frank Peretti was the author, sort of made a name for himself by telling stories about spiritual warfare, or go back even further, maybe you've read something like The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. So it's not a subject that is completely ignored. We do see some things about it, but let's see it today in the frame or in the lens of Ephesians, what Paul is trying to say to the church that he's writing this letter to and why it comes up there. So, Why does Ephesians bring up this topic of spiritual warfare here in chapter 6, when nothing else in the previous five chapters has really done much to hint towards that? I think maybe the first thing for us to do is to consider the source. Where is Paul getting this from? Uh, where, Where does this idea of the armor of God even come from? Maybe we've never considered that that Paul just comes up with this and talks about that. But no, it has a place where he gets it from. It's from the prophet Isaiah, mostly. So he's pulling at different passages out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah and then giving it its sort of frame here in Ephesians. Things like, for example, Isaiah 11, which says this, Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Or Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52, which says, how beautiful are the, on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Feet fitted with the message of peace that we pull from Isaiah. Or Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. These pictures of armor, Paul doesn't just come up with that here in Ephesians. He's pulling out of the Old Testament. I think that's worth noting. I think it's worth noting because in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, these things are portrayed as attributes of God. It's sort of a a picture way of describing who God is and some of the things about who God is. Paul's bringing that imagery back in to the letter of Ephesians here. I know he doesn't quote it as such. He doesn't say anywhere, and the prophet Isaiah says, but it's obvious that's where he's pulling these ideas from. And it's obvious then when you see it in Isaiah that these are things that are meant to name and point out for us attributes of God. Let's describe something about who God is. But now, here in Ephesians, it's not God who wears this armor as as it's meant to be portrayed in Isaiah. Now Paul says something new, something different. You and I, we have this armor, but it still describes attributes of God or to pull some of that together then, that that you and I then, as people who live as part of the New Testament church, part of the church that's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, you and I have been covered with these attributes of God as the Holy Spirit resides in us. That we claim some of this. Look at the commands that Paul gives in this passage around that, what he says for us. He says, stand firm, be strong, put on the full armor of God. That he's giving instruction here. He's saying, now, here's what I want you to do, people of Ephesus, church in Ephesus, people of God's church. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to shrink back. I don't want you to wither and fall away. I want you to stand firm because God has provided protection. Protection for you in your faith as those who accept the gospel messages, as those who believe in God, as those who strive to take those steps of faith in life that move forward. Paul says, you're protected. You have protection that comes from God, and you wear it. It's placed upon you by the Holy Spirit residing within you. So be strong. And stand firm because it's not your strength you're standing in and it's not your firm foundation that you're standing on but it's a strength and a foundation that's been given to you by God. It's His strength and it's the foundation of His victory on the cross that allows us to stand What does that look like then? How does that work? Let's put this into some real-life scenario for us in ways that maybe are helpful to see this in the context of Ephesians as a whole in that letter. Perhaps then, what we should understand about these commands Standing firm, being strong, putting on the full armor of God. You, you don't catch this in the English translation. It, it's something you see in the Greek. But these are all plural, not singular, not individual. So uh, however you think of that, right? My, my Sunday school picture of the flannel graph and, and one person, one, one figure there, putting on all those little pieces of the armor of God, that's not correct, Because Paul says this as a plural, all of us, that is thought of in the sense of all together we wear this armor. And it's not all together as individuals, you and you and you and you and you. No, no, no. It's us together. That the only way, the way Paul is telling this, the only way we wear this armor, the only way we fully experience this protection that comes from God is together, that we do this together as God's church. Now, I think that's important. It's important to note because this fits with Ephesians, doesn't it? If you've been reading any of that that we've read through in Ephesians or what we've said about Ephesians coming into this, then you know that, you understand that. That Paul, in the letter of Ephesians, is trying to make a very strong case for God's church to be united together. And he's bringing some of that into this language, too. That together, we find the protection of God as we stand in his strength and do that. But a spiritual twist to it here, right? He he says that. We saw that in verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against powers of darkness in this world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Still maybe that question is out there. Why does Paul bring this up? Uh, What is he getting at with this idea of spiritual warfare? now that we come to this conclusion in the letter of Ephesians. So let me do this. Let, let me run down just a, a quick summary of Ephesians. As we've read through it the last number of weeks, as i preached through it the last number of weeks, consider the themes of Ephesians as it comes together, okay? Quickly, I'll go through this. Chapter 1, we saw in chapter 1, and in these chapters it's all about the activity of God. So in chapter 1, here's what God does. God predestines his people to be his gathered church, right? That he has a plan that he's had for all time and he puts that plan in place and it goes in motion and he calls people to be gathered together as a part of his people in his church. We saw that in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see how God saves his people by grace and unites us with Christ. Chapter 2 is where we we saw that line that's so central to Ephesians. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And we talked in that message about what it means to be God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Remember we saw that in chapter 2. Chapter 3, I didn't preach a message on this one, but if you read through it, chapter 3 is about God including diverse people in his gathered church. Now, In particular for the letter of Ephesians, Paul is talking about Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. That the Gentiles are coming to faith and being gathered in the church. But more broadly beyond that, his point is to express how people from diverse cultures, languages, backgrounds, that many different people are called and gathered together to be included with God's church. Then in chapter 4, we saw how God gives all these different abilities to build up his church in unity together. That was the one where I served guacamole uh, in here. we, We saw how all those various ingredients that go into guacamole blend together to become something totally different, totally new. And they all have their own flavor that they bring into that. We saw that in chapter 4. Those first four chapters of Ephesians all lay that out. This is what God does. Here's what God has done. Here's how God has gathered his people and what he has gathered them for to be together in unity. Then, for the rest of chapter 4, all of chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6, that part of Ephesians, we saw our examples. Examples of relationship that display, what did they display? Well, they display all of this, all of the above. So if you remember that in chapters 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, Paul talks about relationships, family relationships between spouses, relationships in the home between parents and children, relationships in the workplace Paul uses, in his context, in his time, the example of slaves and masters. But we think of that in our time as more broadly in our workforce. Managers, employees, bosses, workers. Or, since these are examples, expand that out. Teachers, students, coaches, athletes, directors, musicians, whatever that context is. That Paul is saying, you know what, in the world that you live in where there are so many different relationships that you're a part of, the faith that you have in God and what God has done for you now changes those things. Those relationships are different now because of what God has done. That's where Paul goes with Ephesians, right? There's their snapshot of Ephesians on one slide, how that comes together. And then, here in chapter 6, all of a sudden, spiritual battles, how that fits in with this, this topic that Paul has brought to us. In chapter 4, where he turns that corner right between here's what God has done and here's how our relationships respond, he gives some word to how that all comes together. So from chapter 4, he summarizes that theme this way. He says, this all happens. God does all of these things so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then a contrast. Now he's going to give the other side. Then you won't be like infants anymore. You won't be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people with their deceitful scheming. Now, contrast again. He's going to bring it back. Instead, speaking the truth in love, you'll grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ And he concludes that from him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You you catch the theme there that Paul is after something here in Ephesians where, yes, we are saved by grace. Yes, God had this plan in mind since before the beginning of the world. Yes, God is seeing that through, and he does that with a result that his people united together, building the body of Christ together as we come together. You see that theme as it expresses itself. But it comes with that contrast. We saw something of that contrast also in chapter 2. You remember that? Chapter 2 where it had the contrast between being dead in sin and alive in Christ. I illustrated that message with a couple of hula hoops that were overlapping, that we saw the the contrast. Well, there's a contrast here in this passage today, too, right? Maybe we should link those things, that as Paul has been talking about a contrast in other parts of Ephesians, that, that we see something of the same contrast in this passage, too, about spiritual warfare. That Paul is bringing us back to that same contrast again. A contrast between forces of evil and forces of God and good and how that comes together. So how are we going to make sense of that? Let's apply this, all right? Let's do something that makes sense out of this, that fits this together with the letter of Ephesians as a whole. Because we could go in so many directions with spiritual warfare that go off track, that are not correct, that don't fit. So how are we going to understand this? Well, I think what Paul is after here in chapter 6 is he's telling us something. He says, I want to remind you that the faith that we have in God, even though we've seen all that God has done and how powerfully God has won the victory and the grace that we now are held so securely within that we're still under attack. God cannot be defeated, but that doesn't mean that attacks are absent. There is still attack that takes place on our faith, that we still live in a world like that. He wants to remind the people in Ephesus of that because that's the reality of the world that we live in. Yes, we are held secure in the love of God, but there are evil forces that Attack against us even though we hold the victory in Christ. So let's consider that. Consider that as it takes shape in all of Ephesians in the letter there. Okay, a couple things I want to note about that. First of all, think about the nature of the attack. The nature of the attack against our faith. What does that attack actually look like? What does that, where does that attack come from and how do we see that? So the nature of the attack is we see that. Well, if you consider it in the letter of Ephesians, what is the nature of that attack? Well, it's an attack against everything that Ephesians says we are called to. And particularly in the letter of Ephesians, it's about the way that we have been brought together and united as God's people. The attack that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians as an attack against the unity of God's church. That's what he argues so strongly for in all the chapters that come before this, that we are now people who are united and built up together in Christ. And then he says here in chapter 6, there will be attacks against that, against your unity, the union that we have together in Jesus. That's the thing that's being attacked. Paul does not give any mention here uh, to an attack against faith in general. Paul does not doubt for a minute that suddenly you're going to stop believing in Jesus. That's not the thing that's under attack. The thing that's under attack that he's pointing out here in Ephesians is the unity we have together as God's people in the church. That's the thing that the enemy is going after. The enemy's not trying to turn away your faith to believe in God. The enemy is going after your connection with the people of God, the unity of the church. That's the nature of the attack. If you look at it in the letter of Ephesians as a whole, that's what he's talking about, that it's coming at our unity. But then, secondly, consider the source of the attack. Where is the attack coming from? I think this is what helps with this idea of spiritual warfare that, that he brings into this. The reminder that Paul is giving here is that the attack that we experience against our unity that we have together in Christ is a spiritual attack. Or to put it in terms that Frame that spiritual battle when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus did what he did, when Jesus went to the cross and died and then came back from the grave. Jesus defeated an enemy, the enemy of sin and death. That's the enemy that Jesus conquered. And those of us who still live in that world of sin that we've been born into, that's where we face that attack. That even as Christ has conquered sin, that he's still calling and renewing and sanctifying us, and that's where our battle comes, that the source of our attack against us is sin. That sin is the enemy. Now, I can say that rather, obviously, but I, I think that needs reminding that the enemy is sin. I think that's what Paul is pointing out here. Or maybe, to think of it the better way, think of it of who our enemy is not. Our enemy is not people. People are not the enemy. Or, can I use Paul's words? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Sin is the enemy. That our struggle is against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's a good reminder for us. Right, I mean, if we need a takeaway to, to come out of this passage with and bring into our week, let's recognize something. That every time that you and I frame people as an enemy, we get this wrong. This time of year, right, we're, we're heading into November, and in election season. How many of those ads do you see on TV that try to tell you that so-and-so, a, a person, is an enemy? That people are enemies? Paul is saying here, you know what? Don't lose sight of who the real enemy is. Sin is the enemy. That Our struggle, our battle, is against sin. And sin infects people. But the people are not the enemy. The sin is the enemy. God loves people. Jesus came and died for people. God's grace redeems People, people are not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. I think that's a good takeaway for us to remember as we consider what this spiritual battle looks like. We don't walk from this place and go out into this world and identify our enemies as being people that we fight against. That we remember sin is the enemy that attacks us. And the thing that sin is trying to attack is our togetherness, our unity. That we have union with Christ as one together. It's a good thing to remember in this week. All those times when you may be tempted to identify another person or another group of people as an enemy. To say, wait a minute, people are not my enemy. Sin is the enemy. But the reminder from Paul here today in this passage is, you have protection. You're protected. This is an enemy that cannot overpower you. But it's an enemy that we wear protection from God to be able to stand, stand firm, and hold that Unity we have together as God's people, as he has equipped us through his Holy Spirit to do that together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your word and and the reminder in your word of how it is you've equipped each one of us to be your people and to stand firm in you. God, we're sorry for times when perhaps we've lost sight of that, especially for times when we fall into the pattern of this world and, and we start identifying other people as our enemies. Lord, we see so many examples of that division, that hatred, that brokenness. Help us to see again today who the real enemy is, that sin is our enemy, and help us to remember again today that you equip us to stand up to that enemy, that you hold us secure within that. And may it be a reminder for us today of our need for you. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus.